You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there, and welcome to episode 14 of The Exhibitionist, the podcast. Thank you so much once again for listening. Very shortly, we'll be handing over to our conversation with Stefan Appleby, who is a trade consultant with Hanover Communications. We're actually recording this intro on a beautiful Easter Monday where the sun is shining and the temperature is rising. But also the birds are tweeting and the sheep are bleating, so apologies for any farmyard noises in the background, but it's just way too warm to have the doors closed today. Whatever your beliefs, we hope you've had a good rest over the last few days, enjoyed some time with friends and family, and had a chance to reflect on hopefully what's been a really busy first quarter and some fantastic exhibitioning. And you'll also got a chance to think about those leads and evaluation that you're going to do after any trade shows you've been at in the first few months of the year. Before we get on to today's conversation, we just wanted to share something with you that we thought might be useful based on a recent conversation we've had with a client. This client is looking at doing an international trade show towards the end of the year, and potentially there could be up to 130,000 visitors going to the show over about 22 halls at one of the big German exhibition venues. And their question to us was, how and where do we start with 130,000 visitors in getting to the people that we really want to talk to? And we kind of thought that's probably a conversation that even if you've got four or 5,000 people going to a show, is really relevant to think about how do we most efficiently get to the people that we want to speak to. With 130,000 potential visitors and using the average industry statistic of 16 to 20% of visitors being in a position to buy from you, that's still about 25,000 visitors that you could potentially sell to over the course of four days. Can you imagine the size of the team that you'd need for that actually at the show and the resource that you'd need just in following up? So when you're thinking about your objectives, it's really thinking about, okay, what is the number that makes sense to us in terms of people we want to speak to? And then going back and really thinking about the proposition, we were talking to our client about what do you really stand for? What problem do you solve? What pain do you take away from somebody? How can you save them money? How do you provide a better solution? How do you provide a better service? So really going back to basics and thinking about why have we invested in this show in the first place and how do we think we can help people? And once you've got the objective and the proposition nailed, thinking about your opening line should help you then understand how you will quickly start to filter visitors. Quite often we see people flicking their eyes down, looking at badges, seeing if somebody's important enough to have a conversation with. And that can be a little bit off-putting. We know that event organisers are reluctant to colour code lanyards um, because they think that buyers or people who are in a position to influence buyers might not want to be identified as such, they might not want to be bombarded. So you don't have an awful lot of evidence. So that opening line is really your first chance to think about and, and start to understand whether you can do some business with that person. So say you were at a general business services show where there was a whole range of accountants and software companies and contract cleaners and caterers and, and energy suppliers and every other business you can think of that's involved in in supplying a service to two other businesses. And there's a visitor coming along to that show who is just having the most horrendous time with their accountant. Their payroll's all going wrong, the tax returns have been out, um, they're not sure what to do about VAT returns, they're always making mistakes, and these problems that they're having with their accountants are just causing them so many sleepless nights that it's their biggest pain point. And if they could just get that sorted out, they could focus on running their business. If you're a contract cleaner, right now, you're probably not the solution to their problems. At some point in the future, when they can get past the accountancy issues that they're having, potentially there's a time when you can talk to them about cleaning their offices or, or their premises. But right now, when that's their biggest problem, it's probably not the right time to talk. And that's okay because the next person who comes along is definitely going to be in the market for contract cleaning. But you want to move that accountant on, or the person with the accountancy problems on, as quickly as you possibly can. And that opening line, if you think about it in terms of your proposition and asking the right sorts of questions in that first interaction, hopefully you'll both establish that you're not what each other's looking for and be able to say, do you know what? There's lots of people out there who can help you today. I've seen five or six accountants 
go and have a conversation with them and hopefully one of them will be able to solve your problem. And as and when you've got through that one and you may be think about, thinking about cleaning, then why not give us a call? But really, that's the only, the best way that you've got to be able to filter people is in that understanding your proposition and linking it to your opening line and making sure that from very early on in that conversation, it's focused around delivering your objective and being able to present your proposition. Of course, the other great way to make sure that the right people find you is having a really, really strong pre-marketing campaign and making sure that you've the prospects that you want to come and talk to you on the day, you've communicated with and given a really, really good reason for why they should come and talk to you. So pre-show marketing, not time to go into it today, but definitely one of the strongest ways to make sure that you're not just leaving it to chance that the right people happen to fall across you on the day, especially when there's 130,000 of them. So hopefully we, that helped. We just thought it was a useful conversation that we'd had with a client who is definitely battling with that problem as they plan for their next show. So as I mentioned, we're now going to hand over to a conversation we had with Steph Appleby a few weeks ago. And this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've had. And the number of retakes we had to do and the length of time it took to do is probably a record because we just couldn't stop laughing. My experience uh, with Steph, I've known him for a number of years and he has worked um, on the retail side of things in, for a publisher, um, helping the readers of different trade magazines and suppliers come together to be able to communicate and run their businesses more effectively. So what we wanted to get from Steph during this interview was how companies can use trade shows and, and live events in general as part of their full marketing plan, as an aligned marketing plan. So you're communicating in lots of different ways and how all of those different communication tactics can work together to deliver a really, really strong program to an audience. We kind of veer off that topic a little bit and I think we get into talking about torpedoes and boats and there will definitely be mention of beer in there at some point, I'm sure. But it's a really great conversation and we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it. On this week's episode of The Exhibitionist, the podcast, we're joined by Stefan Appleby, who is a trade consultant with Hanover Communications. So welcome to the show, Steph. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us today. And you've got a really interesting background across the B2B comms spectrum. So before we get into that, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about your current role and what that involves with the clients you work with? Yeah, of course. So I've worked in... FMCG broadly for probably about 12 years now. I spent 10 years working for, I suppose, what used to be called a business-to-business -business publisher called New Trade, uh, editing uh, and news editing and being editor-in-chief of a couple of trade publications. Then became head of digital and head of product at that uh, organization. Um, so that's kind of given me a real strong grounding and background in understanding the world of independent convenience retail and wholesale, which is which is what I know best, um, and getting out there and meeting wholesalers and retailers. Uh, and then at the start of this year, so January 2019, I became trade consultant here at Hanover. Uh, and so my role is essentially coming in uh, with all of that experience uh, and lending that experience and background and information and, and all of the kind of knowledge that I have of the sector to help our clients who are Lucas Aid, Ribena Centauri, Mondelez and Camelot, help them kind of make their trade communications have more impact and oomph and, and help them tell their messages to retailers as best they can. Brilliant. Thank you for that. And uh, just one thing to mention before we get any further into our chat, Steph is also a huge supporter of non-league football. So your current team of the moment, Steph, that you're supporting? It's, well, it's, it's not my team of the moment. It's my, my team is a team called Gresley FC, who uh, are a very, very low-level non-league team from where I'm from, which is a village in South Derbyshire. Um, we are currently bottom of the Evo Stick uh, League Division 1 East, uh, having won once in 14 games. Uh, well, we have something in common then because we're uh, big Rotherham fans who are currently languishing near the bottom of the championship. So we might be commiserating with you in a few weeks' time if we both end up getting... Have you got anywhere to get relegated to, Steph? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we're one step above Sunday League at the moment. But yeah, we'll, we'll go down into some horrific Birmingham-based nonsense conglomeration of pain. Uh, but of course, for all our Birmingham listeners, it's a beautiful place and they have some great non-league football. <laughs> with, with respect to Birmingham. Yeah. With respect to Birmingham. <laughs> so back to business, which is far less controversial. So um, you talked a lot in your introduction about B2B communications and having worked in that for a number of years. 
And just so our listeners are really clear, tell us about some of the different methods that you've seen clients use for talking to their customers through B2B communication. Yeah, well, I suppose I'm really, really privileged in a way because of the way that things have changed over the last 10 years, both in society, more specifically in terms of communications, and particularly with the retail channel. Um, it's moved away from just put an ad in a magazine and that's my communication strategy, strategy done um, and moved into kind of much more unique, um, bigger projects that encompass everything from, yeah, straight up advertising of which I'm, a, I'm an advocate. I believe it can work and if it's done correctly, it can have a real impact, but coupled with great editorial coverage alongside that. And then lucky enough over the last couple of years in particular in my roles at New Trade and, and now with Hanover to put together some really, really strong plans for some really, really big brands uh, with whom I worked um, that encompass things like uh, little videos that we've made shareable on social media, um, everything from from uh, right the way through from online activity that, that, that adds something different to what they've been doing previously. Um, and one of the one of my favorite things with another brand that we did encompassed us making handouts and giving them right down to the to their sales team as well so it went away from just a straight comms from the brand down to the retailers but actually enabled them to enable those brands to talk to the retailers across every single platform and you talk a lot about um kind of retail that being the specialism and the experience that you've got but those tactics whether they're advertising or digital or videos or sales tools are relevant across any industry, whether that's manufacturing, automotive, um, kind of anybody who's trying to talk to another business um, for, about their own brand and, and influence them. But thinking about yeah. some of those different tactics, um, what do you think are some of the really important elements that um, people, businesses need to be thinking about to make communications really effective? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, the way that I speak and the way that I'm going to answer all of your questions is with the focus that I have of the last 10 or 12 years, which is, and that's how we met, right? It's, it's because we know retail and because we worked in that channel and because we, we know those guys really well. But you're absolutely right in that everything I'm going to say, while it might delve into specifics, actually on a top line, it can apply to everything, whether you're selling a bar of chocolate or a computer, whether you're selling a boat or a torpedo, the message remains the same. You need to know the audience to whom you're talking. And by knowing the audience to whom you're talking, it's where you're going to talk to them. So, so what platform is this? Some of them are quite old school and will, will favor print. Um, some of them are very, very modern and might favor, you know, particular ways of being spoken to through social media. But amongst all of this, I think the thing to remember is that you need to consider kind of, I suppose if you were like properly going into, oh, it's all marketing, it, it, it's, what, it's all about that toolkit, right? It's all about all of the different elements of that marketing toolkit and making sure all of those things work together so that you're touching the right, touching, so you're talking to the right people through the right channel at the right time. And that knowing the audience piece is, yeah, which channel to talk to them, but also how to talk to them right what language do they want to be spoken to in you know what, what what's going to work with them if you if you use very highbrow language with a certain demographic of people they ain't going to understand it it ain't going to land with them but then similarly if you are i don't know if, if you are doing a huge huge show that is dedicated to multi multi-million pound yachts if you then start talking to them as if they're you know lower class citizens shall we say they might not understand the message that you're talking to and, and uh, that you're talking to them with so it, it's about knowing how to talk to them and knowing which which platforms they want to be spoken to through they're really good points a couple of things i just want to um just pick up and reinforce there so if we do have any listeners who are selling boats then you're definitely the kind of client for us <laughs> and we would love to hear from you so please do get in touch um but Absolutely. i think in kind of summary of what you're saying it is about um being aware of who your brand and what your proposition is, what problem it solves, and then keeping that consistency regardless of whether you're talking through trade media, whether you're talking through social media, directly through a sales force, through kind of PR and, and building your profile. It's about really understanding who you are, who your audience are, and what's going to influence them. Yeah, 100%. And, and when we're, and we're, we're using the phrase when you're talking to them, but, but 
I think the, the, the crucial thing is about consistency, not just in what your key messages are. So understanding how to talk to them. So what are your key messages? So defining what they are. So if there is a particular brand campaign that you have, and that brand campaign encompasses all of the potential things within the toolkit. So you'll be talking to them through social media, you'll be talking to them through print advertising, you'll be talking to them at exhibitions and face-to-face. And, and -face. So deciding what those messages are and, and how to talk to them and what you're promoting is absolutely crucial and making sure the same message goes through all of those. But it's about the look and feel as well. So if you have, with most, most of the people that, if you're putting on a trade exhibition or a trade show, or if you're doing any brand campaign, no matter what channel you're pushing it through, you kind of think if you've got the right audience and you've got the right areas through which to talk to those audience, they might see your message on a couple of those different platforms, right? So going back to what I know and what we know, what, what we know traditionally know, is if you're putting on a, a, a trade show for retailers or for wholesalers, fantastic, but don't go to that trade show with a different message to the one that you might put in the trade publications. And make sure that you've got this kind of consistency that goes through, both in terms of what you're talking to them about, but also how it looks. So if they've seen that advert or they've seen that editorial coverage and in those things you've used a certain language and you've used a certain um, God, colour scheme or tagline or whatever it might be, reinforce that across all of the channels that you do. Hammer them home. You know, that, that old kind of adage that everybody will come back to about how it takes six or seven or eight or the number changes depending on who you talk to, six or seven or eight times for a message to sink in properly and for somebody to take an action off the back of it. Well, bear that in mind because the trade show might be the first time they hear it, but it might be the eighth time they hear it. And actually, if they're hearing something different, your message isn't going to land. And it is important to have that, that marketing toolkit using all of those different parts of it, but the message is the crucial one. It's a really interesting point, again, that you make. Um, and it takes me back to a blog we wrote a couple of weeks ago about who was responsible within an organization for a trade show? Was it sales or marketing? And actually, if, if marketing don't get involved and sales are left on their own to deliver a trade show, that's when you can get the disjointedness between the messaging that's gone out in through the marketing team and actually then the sales team trying to deliver it, but not necessarily having all the right tools or the right strap lines or the logos. And it becomes very inconsistent and visitors are kind of looking at your stand thinking, yeah, but I read something completely different in trade press last week. I, I don't get which bit I'm supposed to believe. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an amazingly, a really good point is that we've seen examples of, of trade shows where obviously the marketing team is, is the team that has decided to exhibit at the trade show. They've decided that, you know, brand A is our focus for this trade show. So that's what we're going to be pushing out. And then they staffed the stand at the trade show with whatever random bodies they can pull together to get there, right? There's been very little thought that might have gone into it in terms of who's there and what they're saying. In the meantime, for the six months prior to that, your regional sales force have been going out and quite fantastically selling in this brand into whatever channel it is that they need to sell this into. And yet you come back to the trade show and they're now telling a different message. The people with whom you've entrusted this message before, all of a sudden, they're not the right ones. So there's that side of it, but there's also this side of it, which is the marketing team might put on the trade show and then say, right, this trade show is taking place in Manchester. And so what we will do is find the nearest regional sales reps, the nearest RDMs or BDMs or whatever, whatever terminology might be used, who are near the Northwest to come and stand at that stand uh, and, and talk about it there. But they're actually, they don't then talk to the marketing team about that. So they don't, the marketing team doesn't tell them Who's going to be at this trade show? Are they new customers? Are they existing customers? What stage of that kind of, oh, there's a lot of terrible marketing terms, but what stage of the purchase cycle are they at, right? Like, where are they? And, and who's likely to be there? So what, what conversations are they likely to have? Now, the marketing team should, in theory, to your, your point there, work really closely with the sales team to get that right. So everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows what they should be expecting within reason. I mean, There'll always be surprises there, but, but make sure that, that everyone's having these conversations beforehand because one of the biggest mistakes you'll, you'll ever make when you're going to these exhibitions is not thinking clearly enough about, yeah, the message, but also who you're going to be telling the message to. 
And, and building on that point, you simply don't have the time to waste to spend talking to people who aren't of any value to you and aren't on your even on your purchase journey somewhere. So um, we all know we get those complete time wasters at trade shows, and it's really important to, to get rid of them them quickly. So considering all that and thinking of all the different ways that organizations organizations can choose to speak to their customers, um, what role do you think live events and specifically exhibitions play in as part of an integrated marketing comms plan? Um, it's a really interesting one because because it's it goes back to what we were saying there about it, it's kind of dependent on who's going to be at that trade show. Trade shows, I mean, even before we start calling them trade shows and exhibitions, let's just talk about face-to-face contact. And face-to-face contact is one of the greatest ways that you have of, of selling your brand and, and talking about what that might be to potential customers. Now, the problem you have is that you, whoever you are, whether you're selling boats, torpedoes, or you know, you're, you're in our sector, it is impossible for you to have 10,000, 12,000, 44,000 individual conversations every single time you launch a new brand. It, it's, that's never going to happen. So face-to-face communications, of which the trade shows and exhibitions are an important part, you know, play, play an important part of getting that message across and talking to those people. Um, I think the way I would see it is, is that they're a really, really fantastic opportunity to start to land or continue to reinforce the brand messages that you, you want to land, right? It, it's, it, it is about, it, it's about getting everything together across that toolkit and using it to the best of its ability. One of the best things that trade shows can offer is, is a, they're a wonderful opportunity, I think, to start relationships that, that hopefully lead to a purchase. And, and I say that quite deliberately in that a lot of people that we've seen see trade shows as a means to an end, like, you know, as the end of everything. So, oh yeah, we're gonna to go to the trade show, it's gonna have 5,000 visitors. If we get 5,000 customers, score, the 20 grand we've invested in this trade show is absolutely nailed. No, mate, no, mate, don't necessarily go there with the idea that you're gonna sell loads of stuff. Go there with the idea that you're gonna create brand advocates. Go there with the idea that you're gonna tell people who may not have heard about you before what, it hell, what the hell is it that you do. And go there with the idea that you're gonna improve the, the, the kind of the businesses of the people who are visiting your store going forward and make sure that when we say this as part of this total toolkit, make sure that the trade show isn't the end of it. Those people that you speak to at the trade show, speak to them afterwards, you know, follow up with these people. If you've met 20 people on one day at a trade show, you know, make sure those 20 people hear from you within seven days, make sure those people, have an individual follow-up conversation saying, great to see you, Nicola, at this trade show. Thanks for your time. Let's organize a meeting or let's see where we go next or what do you want to do now? There has to be that, that kind of follow-up. So they're a really, really important part of starting relationships that can continue and can continue and can continue. There is so much, I think about this earlier on, the amount of money that is now spent by big corporate advertisers with Instagram influencers, right? Loads and loads of money goes to social media for models um, to wear the clothes of a certain company or to eat the food of a certain restaurant or whatever it might be. Now, that influencer thing, fine. There's a reason they're getting this much money, whether we sit here and believe whether it works or not. There's a reason they're getting this much money because somebody believes it works and somewhere down the line has proven that it works. Now whatever your business, you need that kind of influence because it might not be going through Instagram, Snapchat or, or Twitter, but face to face and those people will talk to other people is as important. Yeah, it's, um, I'll say something that I often say on the podcast. I just wish people could see what we're recording now because I am sitting at the end of a microphone like a nodding dog as Steph was talking, <laughs> and kind of agreeing with everything, single thing he said. And it was, it's all really, really valuable points. And it I think Again. this is the most you've ever agreed with me as well, by the way. I quite like that. <laughs> well, it's only taken 10 years for you to say something sensible. So. <laughs> um, it kind of brings to mind as well, in my head, um, that you'll have seen it, I'm sure, Steph, the um, Fire Festival documentary we watched Absolutely, recently. Yeah. And you can have all the influence in, influences in the world and these beautiful, stunning models all promoting your brand. But actually, when it comes down to that moment of truth, at that point where you really live your brand and you're authentic, it has to have substance. And that's the point at which at a trade show, 
you have your opportunity, your moment of truth through the customer, which sounds very marketing, but it is that, that moment in time where you can say, all the other things you've seen about us in the indirect marketing we've done, it's actually true. This is who we are. This is our brand. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can demonstrate it. You can see it. You can see us in action as a team. And you know that we are what we stand for. And, you know, Fire Festival was a, a classic of absolutely brilliant influencer marketing, but no toilets and no beds and no luxury. And, it, you know, the, the guy's in jail for six years. So not that anybody's probably going to get a six years jail time for mis-selling a Mars bar, but the point being, you've got to be authentic. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and the Fire Festival thing, while it was, you know, fantastic uh, entertainment for, you know, us lot sitting here going, God, what a bunch of gullible idiots. Um, and I'm sure it'll win many, many Emmys or whatever it is that television shows in America are up for. They're kind of, there'll be a lot of, there'll be a lot of podcasts and there's already been a lot of words written about lessons we can learn from Fire Festival. And <laughs> they're all true. But the principle is when we're pulling it back to trade shows and with particular relevance to what we know, or what I know, should I say, the kind of FMCG and retail world, the, 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 it, it's, it's about having something that follows through and a, and a total kind of strategy. It's, well done, you've got them there. So let's say, okay, you've got them to the trade show. Great. Okay, let's say they managed to make it there and by some, by some accident, somebody got something from it. Then what happens? So there's almost three stages to this. Fire Festival fell at the second by not even having a trade show. But like, like <laughs> it, there, there are, I mean, imagine if there, there had been a trade show. It might be more exciting for the shitty <laughs> sandwich. But like, you know, what, 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 um, it is about those three things and it's about that whole process. Yeah. So you've obviously been to a lot of trade shows in your time, mainly in the food and drink um, and retail sector, which are always brilliant because you just graze for three days in a row and taste the most wonderful and not so wonderful things. Um, but where have you seen trade shows and exhibitions used really effectively by brands? Um, it's a good question. The best ones that I've seen are the ones that have had a kind of, this sounds really obvious, but a real wow, right? You, you, you're walking past and they're like, okay, what the, what the hell is going on here? And that's not necessarily in the, you know, they've got somebody breathing fire or they've got some sort of insane design going on. It's not necessarily that. It's a wow in the, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that particular element of, of my area of work. Um, and I think the, the things that have really, really landed with me when I was thinking about this, so those, those that kind of, you have to go back, and it's, it's, this is going to sound repetitive again, but going back to knowing who the user is, who your audience is, right? So those brands or, or companies that are exhibiting at these trade shows who've really understood who their audience is, and then within that, who's going to be at this trade show, and what do I need to tell them? Um, you know, it, at the end of the day, everyone at that trade show, no matter what, what the trade show is and what is being exhibited, everyone there is a, who's, who's gone to walk around is a consumer. And you kind of think about how you and I and, and everyone listening as a consumer is, well, think about what attracts you, what, what grabs your eye when you're in a shop, whether that's a, a clothes shop or whether that's a convenience store, what leaps out to you? And it's the brand new, it's the, wow, that's an interesting kind of development and area I've not seen. It's the thing where you can see what is being put in front of you in a certain context. So like one of the things I really, really love, it kind of fits, fits with clothing and things like that, I suppose. But if you're in a clothes store and you see a, a great item of clothing, you kind of go, well, I think that's a great item of clothing. And I can see myself wearing that in, you know, at, at the pub or at this particular party or, or whatever it might be. And you can, you can almost envisage and picture the context of it. And a lot of times when, when things aren't so good is when you cannot see the context. So the ones that really stand out are when, yeah, wow, I get that. I get how that fits into to what I'm doing. So with relevance to, to kind of the independent trade, the best things I've seen are those that talk about new brand launch A and B, and then how new brands A and B fit into my shop, fit into the wider world of what I'm trying to do, and position them, you know, as such. So it's not just in isolation, here is a new uh, bag of crisps, or here is a new chocolate bar, or here is a new soft drink, or here is a new whatever. Actually, okay, Trecho, show me how this show me how this works. If I'm going to put this on my shelf, where am I putting it? 
and why and who's buying it and what does it look like and that's the wow i think that's really important and that really really lands is when actually they're, they're talking to you about those things and, and as part of the, the the wider the wider kind of piece if you like and it, you might feel it sounds repetitive but it's absolutely crucial as the first building block when you're thinking about trade shows so we were at a couple of trade shows last week we did um a lot of had a lot of conversations with exhibitors and we're asking them about who is it you want to meet who are you selling to and actually a good majority of exhibitors didn't know they hadn't got that clarity about this is what person i want that i want to speak to and this is the problem that we solve in their business and equally visitors can quite often go because it's their industry trade show and not because they know what problem they need solving in their business. So if you've got exhibitors that don't know what problem they can solve and visitors that don't know what problem they want solving, it kind of just becomes a waste of time for both of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's as applicable. It's as applicable to the visitor, this advice as it is to the exhibitor, right? It's, it's, if you're going to a trade show, if you are going to take that amount of time out of your day or your week or however long you're going for, make sure you know why you're going. I mean, it seems insane, but who are, you going to, who are you going to see there and what are you going to ask them? What are you going to find out? And similarly for the exhibitor, who's going to be there and what are you going to ask them? And what, what, what are you putting across to them? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've talked about the good stuff that we've seen at trade shows. And um, probably the more interesting part for our listeners, maybe, without naming and shaming, can you tell us some of those mistakes that you've seen where it's been executed less well? Yeah, this is, if I, if I name and shame, I want this edited out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's a couple of things that, 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 that spring to mind, but, but I want to try and put the kind of the positive spin back on it to some extent. When I've seen ones that, if they, if they don't work or if they fail or things that, that don't land, my, my, my way of thinking about this is, well, actually, there's an easy way that, that you could have amended this. And the, the things that really, really sprung to mind when, when thinking about things that, that haven't landed well are those stands where, going back to what we were talking about earlier on, actually, perhaps the marketing and sales functions have not joined up as well as they might, and there is no clarity on what the message is. Now, that might be those organizations that play in a lot of different areas within, within a store. They might go there and each of those different brand teams or each of those different um, heads of department or whatever they might be have gone, right, we've got a trade show. I want to exhibit my product because it's brand new and it's amazing. And someone else over the other side of the business has said exactly the same. And then person C and person D have said that. And all of a sudden, you've got this wonderfully magnificent stand with this cavalcade of messages that everyone's like, well, what, what, what are you doing here? What's new? What do I need to know? And then if you, you then take that further, if there's all these cavalcade of messages, the people on the stand are not able to talk about all of them as well as they might because their own minds are diluted by how much stuff there is. What's the result of that? And, we, and we've, you know, we've all seen those things where there is just too much on that stand and the people on there just don't have, have that ability to talk in a sentence, really positive and really passionate about what it is that they are exhibiting. They're the, they're, the, they're the ones where I just go, oh, that's such a wasted opportunity, particularly for the cost of some of those stands. Now, we know there are the, the, the things we've all seen where there have been, you know, people dressed up as giant batteries or, you know, models, you know, dressed in very, very skimpy outfits and whatever. And well done, they catch the eye. But being frank, is that going to sell you more batteries or is that going to sell you more of whatever it is that the models in skimpy underwear are selling you? Probably not. What have you spent on that? I don't know, a few grand? Well, what's the point? So we know those examples and I kind of put them to one side for a second. The ones that I think are really, really annoying are those ones where you've got great products, you've got great brands, but you're just not clear on your message for that one, two or three days that you have at the trade show. And, and there's, a re there's not a real clarity on the three or four things, that, messages that you need to get out. Yeah, absolutely crucial and summed up brilliantly there. And um, just one other thing I was going to add that we saw uh, just this week at an event um, that we kind of thought wasn't a, a great example. We, we talked a lot in this podcast about face-to-face -face and the chance to actually engage um, with people in the real world. 
uh, and there seems to be a bit of a trend creeping in for um, virtual reality. So people standing right. on stands with a headset on, having an experience on their own. And it kind of seems that's tech for tech's sake. And it's taking us away from the whole point of this trade show is about being face to face and about having that engagement. And you just, they could have got that at home through the computer screen. So um, kind of, yeah. you know, it d- doesn't really make sense to me, but um, it, it's starting to creep in, I think. But is it, there's a, there has been, that's just the latest example in that kind of, people go, right, we've got a show, what can we put on our stand? And we've all seen those examples of the last five years ago was, oh, let's have one of those, um, giant rally cars that you can sit in and pretend you're going around a rally track okay that's your that's your your investment there and then a few years before that it might have been oh let's do some sort of of like whack-a-mole or you know do the you know that blooming strongman hammer thing you'd see at the circus where you ring the bell it's just let's get something wacky on the stand to get people to stop yeah get people to stop but get them to stop with the quality of your message and the quality of your brand and not leaving them coming away, as I'm sitting here now, remembering the whack-a-mole stunt. I cannot, for the life of me, tell you what brand that was for. And uh, is that the point? Well done. Like it, it just doesn't work. Yeah, and we all seen have seen more than enough of the crystal males, crystal maze type. We've seen enough of the crystal males as well. I think. <laughs> <Yeah. you're right. laughs> the crystal maze type booths where the wind's blowing and there's different colored bits yeah. of gold and silver paper and you've got to grab as many as you can and all you get is people who want to win your tablet they're not really interested in your product yeah. or service so there, there can be look if you if you have something that is there to attract the attention and it is part of your stand and part of your message on the day and part of whatever it is you're trying to get across and there is a point to it absolutely but how long do people, how long does the average visitor attend a trade show for? I, I don't know the stats, maybe, maybe you do, but let's say they, they've taken a day out. So let's say they're there for you know, five hours at most. I mean, that seems ambitious, but let's say they're there for that long, right? A lot of the shows I've been to have gone like, right, so from the start of the day to the end of the day, we'll have a competition. And then the person who's got the fastest time or the biggest weight or the strongest what by the end of the day wins a prize. Well, that person's not going to be there at the end of the day. And what's the brand engagement with that? And the other 30 people who've tried, what are you do? How, are you engaging with those people ever again? So they stop for 12 seconds. And if they stop for 12 seconds, what are you doing with those people while they're on your stand? So you can use them, but I've seen so many people who do not. Yeah. It, it is about um, between five and six hours, usually because um, from the research, but maybe less than five minutes per stand. And in some case, you know, just seconds. And it's, that being memorable, they see so many stands, they might have absolutely been in the moment with you in your grab em icebreaker activity, but then they've seen 15 other grab em icebreaker activities. So it's kind of at that point of, did it really mean anything? So, um, so thinking back to the start of the conversation, we talked about the other types of marketing comms tactics that are available. How can exhibitors use those other things like trade media and social media um, to amplify what they're doing at a trade show? And why is that important for them? Well, I think it's important because the trade show doesn't exist on its own, right? The trade show isn't just you spending three hours and that's your entire marketing budget. That's not the only time you want to talk to the people who who are going to be at that trade show and see your brand. So there has to be, we've spoken about, you know, the toolkit and the whole cycle here, but there has to be with particular, sorry, with particular uh, relevance to the trade show, a kind of before, a during and an after. So before the trade show, you need, to be sen- you need to be sensing who's going to be there from your customer base. Now, that might be going through social media, whichever the chosen social media channel for your potential customers is. So whether you engage with them on Twitter, asking them there, are you going to come and see us? Whether it's LinkedIn with your personal connections, are you going to come and see us? Whatever it might be, it's sending out emails to your database to say, are you going to be there? Can we arrange a meeting? Would you like to come and see us? Um, it's, it's the setter, basically. And, it, and then it, it is also generic social media as well as the personal social media. It's, also, it's generic saying, we're going to be at stand 22, come and see us, um, you know, talk, talk to us, basically. It has to, again, it's the whole toolkit. It goes across everything, right? And then during it at the trade show, it's ramping up at the trade show. You know, we've met these people, look at how happy they were. It, it's and keeping that conversation going while you're there so you're not quiet for three days across all of these channels. And then afterwards, it has to be about following up with the people with whom you've met. 
individually through email and through social or through whatever channel you want to talk to these people but then also a generic follow-up to everybody else who wasn't there saying you know sorry we missed you here's what we exhibited if you want a conversation with us here's our details get in touch it, it, it has to be about the whole piece because if you're just doing the show in excelsis you're not you're not doing it right i suppose you're not you're not getting the maximum impact that you might get Absolutely. And did you slip into a bit of Latin there in that last, uh, in Excelsis? That's yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot you don't know about me. Uh, and uh, my, I don't even know if I used it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a linguist out there who will let us Let's know. pretend I did and that I'm dead clever. And <laughs> oh, brilliant. So we've talked a lot about um, how trade shows and live events help with brands and with selling brands. There's also an argument, I think, about um, corporate reputation. And we have a lot of exhibitors and clients who talk to us and say, if we're not there, then the perception of our business overall um, is damaged. People think that maybe we can't afford to invest in it. So do you think there is a role for exhibitions in helping build company profile or corporate reputation? And how can exhibitors really maximize that if that's one of their objectives? Yeah, I, th I think I would start based on how you've asked the question there is that if, if people are thinking I'm going to do a trade show because I have to be, that's probably the wrong place to start thinking about doing a trade show. And if that's your mindset as you go in, you're starting off with a negative mindset and you certainly aren't going to get the results that you want or need from that trade show. Um, so to some extent, while that might be true, yes, we have to be there because, you know, company A is there and if we're not, but actually then think about how you use that platform to turn it round. How do you make the most of it so you don't have disinterested people on your stands just saying, yeah, we're only here because, you know, matey boy down the road is. Um, you have to say, right, we've got this space, we've got this time, we've got this opportunity. How do we enhance who we are to the detriment of our competitors? Let's be frank, you know, we, we want to be better than them. So it isn't just that we're keeping up with the Joneses in a bad way. Uh, it is, right, how do we make this good? I think... One of the key things, and I was going to touch on this a little bit previously, and probably will as we go forward, but but if you're going to enhance your corporate reputation at a live event or a trade show, you need to make sure that every single person you have representing your company at that trade show is aligned to your brand, to your objectives, and to your you know to what you're doing as a business. Um, you need to you need to exude professionalism. You need to exude confidence in the products that you have, and you. Everybody there needs to have that ability. And I think I touched on this earlier on. They need to have that ability to talk about the brands that you have got there really, really well and really, really quickly, being frank, because while the person there might, while the visitor there might be only there for five or six, six hours, to your point, if there are hundreds of stands there, how much time do you have to grab that human being? So everybody in that stand needs to know potentially what their first line is. What's their opener? Nobody, but nobody, because of their experiences walking down the high streets of England and being stopped by people who want money from them. Nobody likes being stopped. So how do you stop people in a way that makes them think, well, actually, this is quite interesting. So plan what your opener is going to be, whatever that might be. And when they're on the stand, make sure everybody on that stand isn't playing on their phone. Make sure it's really simple stuff, right? Make sure everybody on that stand isn't effing and jeffing around the corner. Make sure everybody in that stand isn't just standing in the corner talking to their workmates. It's about, if, if you're going to enhance your corporate reputation at a trade show, it's about everybody on that stand believing in the corporate reputation that you have, uh, which sounds you know a bit counterintuitive, but, it, but, but you kind of have to think that way. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Have you read a book called The Exhibitionist recently, Steph? <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I quoting verbatim from it now? Well, the Hello. <laughs> we slip back into Latin again. It's, it's almost as if you wrote some of it, which I can assure anybody who's bought the exhibitionist stuff isn't our ghostwriter. It was all our own blood, sweat. You're holding me hostage. I've not got royalties. Help. <laughs> <laughs> but it does sound very familiar uh, and will be yeah. to anybody who's, uh, who's tuned in. But because it's absolutely spot on, the kind of very basic things to get right and to think about as to why you do the trade. I think some of the best, I'm thinking back to some of the best things that I've been in, and yes, specifically in the, in the convenience sector trade space, but, but also in, in, in other areas and other trade shows that I've been to in other parts of my roles that I've had. So focusing on kind of digital innovation as part of what I was doing at New Trade and going to, stand, going to trade shows where I had 
less of an understanding perhaps of the subject matter than I, than I, than I had of the, the years grounding that I've got in FMCG. But actually I've seen, I've then been to talks and seen, seen people at talks or sitting on panel discussions and they've been able to succinctly describe who they are and what they do in a sentence or two sentences, but not oversell themselves. They've then made me think, right, I want to, I want to go and see a little bit more about what, what this guy does. I've then gone to the stand and had conversations with them. And then I followed up afterwards. So even at the trade show, it's been a two or three part process. And then afterwards it continues. It's, it's kind of a, it has to be part of a, an ongoing communication. And that's absolutely crucial. Absolutely. Um, I do just want to reassure anybody who's listening. You haven't actually got monkeys in your office this afternoon, have you, Steph? No, why? Can you hear is there some squealing? Sorry. There's some squealing in the background. So apologies if um, that's distracted anybody. But I think it's just a, a very joyous afternoon in the Hanover um, office. Because it's right, it's Friday afternoon and everybody everybody's excited about Brexit. <laughs> oh, let's do. We've done so well to get to nearly half an hour without mentioning the B word. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, that's why I'm on the beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Steph is doing this with beer can in hand and it is only half past nine in the morning when we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on from the B word, kind of coming towards the end of our conversation, but um, absolutely packed with advice in the last sort of 30 minutes or so. Um, so thank you for all the value you've added to, to everybody listening, Steph. And um, I think the one thing I'd really like to ask you is, as a visitor going to these trade shows, what, what's the one thing that you think exhibitors could do better if they could just get something right? You'd think, you know, that would make the whole experience so much better for me. Oh, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, that's a very, very good question that I've not really considered. I think if the one thing would be, I think, just ensuring that they understand who I am as the potential customer or the visitor, right? So obviously they're not going to know who the hell I am. Let's be frank. You know, the thousands of people who, well, actually, don't you know who I am? Like the thousands of people who might be walking around the aisles and alleyways of trade shows, you're not going to know who everybody is by their side. But having the ability to understand what type of customers are going to be in that, that trade show and then having the ability to open a conversation with them really, really simply to, to find out and assess whether any further conversation is going to be of value to both of us right? It's, it's, even if I'm interested in a company, it can often be difficult to approach the stand of that company. Like, and every, everybody would have done it. You've seen loads of people standing around, slightly nervous, perhaps. Um, and it's the reason why people in posh jewelry shops have said, can I help you, sir? You know, all of those, you know, all of those, those truisms about how to serve the customer come out. And actually, if you treat the people who are in that trade show as customers or potential customers and treat them not just as potential customers, but also customers perhaps who've already spent with you, so they have some value to you, and understand how you can then further their understanding of what you do really, really quickly. Everybody on the trade stand needs, whatever that stand might be, needs to understand the part that they play, the position that they play. Think of it as a, a sports team or a play or whatever it might be, right? A body wasted is, is just a waste of time, of money, but also, it puts people off visiting your stand. So it, it, it loses on so many different levels. Um, so making sure that everybody there is really, really into and can positively and quickly and confidently talk about what, what it is they're exhibiting. I think that that's the thing that makes the whole experience worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that right at the beginning of the process, thinking about who are you going to talk to, what purpose you the trade show for and what action are you wanting them to take. Um, so we are racing um, towards beer o'clock on a Friday afternoon, although Steph seems to have started without us. So we will um, not take up any more of your time, um, apart from to say so Hanover Communications are a company who can um, help people with their trade media strategy or, or um, B2B comm strategy and deployment. So Steph, where and how can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, the best way to find me is probably uh, on Twitter, I suppose, uh, at Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N underscore Appleby, A-P-P-L-E-B-Y. So get me there or uh, feel free to drop me an email, sappleby at hanovercoms.com. Um, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And if anybody missed that, get in touch with us. And as always, we will um, pass details on. Uh, 
my last question of the day is uh, who have you got tomorrow in uh, the football? Who are Grizzly Town playing tomorrow, Steph? It's not Grizzly Town, Nick. It's just Grizzly FC. We got, yeah. We'll rephrase uh, that one. So then, Steph, who are Grizzly FC playing tomorrow? We dream of being grand enough to be a town, I tell you. Uh, do you know what? I don't think we've got a game tomorrow. It got postponed. So I think we've got Pontifract next weekend. So that, that's the next one coming up. That's the real glamour type, ever than <laughs> there was one. Pontif- Pontifract Collieries FC. See you there. <laughs> well, uh, if you are going to uh, Pontifract, I think you can get some good licorice cakes up there, if my uh, memory's <laughs> and maybe even some Haribo these days. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us. It's been great speaking with you. Uh, absolutely stacks of value in there for our, like, our exhibitors. Um, some really, really great information. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Brilliant. Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. So we hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as we enjoyed recording it. But more importantly, that you got some valuable inspiration that will help you across all of your trade comms, not just live events. Incidentally, if anyone is interested, Steph actually got it wrong and the famous Gresley Town were away to Lincoln United the day after we spoke. And unfortunately, they lost 1-0 that day. Um, it's probably a slightly better score than the Rotherham Derby score from that weekend, which we'll maybe just not mention for now. So brilliant conversation with Steph and we thank him again for being on the show. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks for episode 15 and we'll be speaking to Pete Gillett, who is the CEO of MarketPoint and Zuant Mobile. And we'll be discussing lead capture and the number of different methods that are out in the marketplace that you can use to help you capture leads. But more importantly, why capturing data is so important and some of the GDPR restrictions that unfortunately we're working within in uh, this day and age. So looking forward very much to that next episode. In the meantime, as always, have a great couple of weeks planning your exhibitions. Hope that everything is going well. I think things are ramping up now for most people for the September, October time of exhibitions, which is another really busy period. If you need some more advice and inspiration, of course, pop over to www.inspiringexhibitors.com. You can follow the blog on there where there is lots of articles about all different aspects of exhibitions, but also you can subscribe to the newsletter, which comes out fortnightly and again has some useful hints, tips and information from around the industry. We'll also, we're also racing up towards the launch of The Exhibitionist, the book, which is officially on May the 16th, when you'll be able to grab yourself a copy from Amazon and we can start sending them out for all those orders we've received via our website. You can still pre-order before the 16th and we'll make sure it arrives with you as close to that date as possible. And as always, we love hearing from you, whether it's a trade show trouble, whether it's a trade show celebration. If something's gone really well, let's hear about it and share it with our listeners so that they can learn from it also. But if there's something that's getting you down, give us a shout and we will be delighted to help you with it. Have a great couple of weeks. Thank you once again for listening. And don't forget to unleash your inner exhibitionist. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about our new book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.